Well, good morning to everyone. So glad to be here. Um, thank you for uh, this great opportunity. Uh, and to know so many of you is also a great uh, privilege to come here and open God's Word. Uh, I met uh, Jimmy Davis when he was in high school uh, back in the 80s. I was his youth pastor. I had just graduated from Wheaton College up in the Chicago area and uh, did not take the conventional route of going immediately from college to, to cemetery. I actually um, <laughs> took a longer route before I attended cemetery. But uh, I went in and worked in um, Charlotte, North Carolina, after working in the inner city of Chicago for a few years after I graduated. And so uh, Jimmy and I know one another quite well and have a fond affection for him and remember him as an eager uh, young man for the Lord and how hungry he was for God's Word and how willing he was to follow and uh, to walk in obedience uh, both uh, to the Lord but then also to me as uh, God had appointed me as the youth pastor at Calvary Church at that point. So uh, I come to you with great fondness in my heart. And uh, Lyra and I just live a couple miles from here, so it was a lot easier for us to drive over here than the past 10 years we've been driving to First Presbyterian Church downtown where I served as the senior pastor, and um, so we're happy to be here. We're starting a new endeavor. Jimmy asked me to just give you a bit of an update on that. Uh, Lyra and I are going to work together in a ministry called East West Ministries. We're going to mentor minority leaders in uh, key cities within the United States. And then we're going to mentor church planters in strategic global cities. And uh, that'll be the work that the Lord has given us. We're going to take a few months off and do some fundraising. And uh, then, Lord willing, we'll start in, in our new ministry. So we're very excited about this opportunity. Um, our passage this morning uh, out of uh, John is uh, some of the last few verses in the Gospel of John. And I don't know how well you know the Gospel of John. I've preached through it quite a few times in uh, my life. And so you might be able to start in John 1 and work your way all the way through the book. right? You might think, oh wait, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And oh, then he calls his disciples. And in John 2, where we have that wonderful my favorite miracle, where Jesus turns water into wine. That's pretty exciting. And then you go to John 3, we have Nicodemus or Nick at night. Sometimes the kids think of that. And then John 4, you go on and you have the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman, how Christ reached out to her. You work your way all the way through the book, and we're at the tail end of that now. And so uh, we want to think about Jesus's command and i love the way the reader articulated that he said you follow me that's a command form follow jesus if jesus were standing here uh, this morning and he said stand up uh, the full intention of those words you obey him i mean the greek word for obedience is uh, connected to the greek word for hearing a cool right i mean you hear you obey Go back into the Hebrew, and a very similar setup. 
with the idea of if you hear the Lord or you hear your parent, of course you obey them. Why would you be a rebellious person? And so I want us to think through this idea of follow Jesus, follow Jesus, follow Jesus. What does it mean? Because we're on a journey, right? You'll notice uh, at the bottom of the sermon notes page, I put a quote from Lewis Carroll. You may remember this amazing story, Alice in Wonderland. And I think of it more of Alice in Wanderland, right? She's wandering. Uh, She doesn't really know where she's going. And, of course, she has this encounter with the cat, right? And the cat says, well, if you don't know where you're going, any path will do. Any path will get you there. Well, I want to ask you, where are you going? Uh, What's your destination? You know, now we can click into our phones or program into our car. We were in France a couple weeks ago. We had a great car. We just programmed it for English. And uh, you pop in the destination and it tells you exactly go. Take 936 out of Bordeaux. Go left at 122. Before you know, you're at St. Emilion. And we tell you every step of the way, get in the right lane. No, the second to right lane. Take the first right. Stop. It literally tells you how to move and how to go. And some of us in Christ would love if we had more definitive instructions. Well, God has given us definitive instructions. He said, follow me. He says, follow Christ. You know, it's interesting as a parent, you hear your child, you say, hey, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right? Maybe a a little girl might say, I want to be a ballerina. And you begin thinking, how could I help my daughter become a ballerina? Or she says, I want to be a lawyer or a doctor. You know, one of my sons, when I asked him that question, what do you want to be when you grow up? He said, I want to be a fire truck. (laughs) (laughs) Kind of developed slowly, but you know, um, fire truck's good, right? Helps people and it's big and strong and shiny. But, uh, you know, ultimately... Uh, we are going to be conformed to Christ's image. That, that's our destination. So if somebody asks, where are you going? Uh, you, you, you don't say, I don't know. You say, well, I know that I'm going wherever Christ goes because I'm following Him. And I know that He is going to conform me to His image. He's called me. <laughs> He's justified me. Right, He's going to glorify me one day at His return, and I will be with Him. Allow your mind to race forward into Revelation 7 and hear this wonderful uh, word out of Revelation 7, uh, beginning in verse 9. It says, uh, John, actually the same one who authored this Gospel, said, After this I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number from, listen to these, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying with a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels, just imagine, all the angels more than we could number. All the angels are standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God saying, Amen. 
blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Let it be. That's the true truth would be a good way of understanding amen. And so they're surrounding and they're worshiping Jesus. People from every nation, every tribe, every language. And allow your mind to go to Matthew 28 where Jesus says, go, make disciples of the people of all the nations. Now, if you allow me to maybe pontificate for a moment and expand that, I would say every nation, every tribe, every tongue, we're to be actively making disciples. That's what it means to follow Jesus. To follow Jesus is to be actively involved in making disciples. Now, I don't know how well you know John chapter 21. It's the last chapter of John, and it's the chapter that gives us uh, really the marching orders for the church. The, the first 14 verses tell us that we are fishermen. We're to fish for men. And then verses 15 to 19 say that we're to make disciples of the people we catch. And that these disciples are then to make disciples. We find out a little bit about Jesus' character too. Not only does He tell the church to be evangelist, not only does the t- He tell the church to be active in making disciples, He also lets us know that failure is not final when you follow Jesus. If you've experienced failure in your life, as a non-Christian or as a Christian, I think specifically as a Christian, the multiple failures I've had in my life. And how, because of Christ and His grace, failure is not final with Jesus. Remember His conversation with Peter. I mean, imagine. You know, Peter has denied Christ. If you think your way through John, the last few chapters, Peter denies Christ and then the resurrected Christ reveals Himself to Peter. And Peter, he doesn't run to Christ, he swims to Christ. <laughs> and they have this beautiful interaction because Peter's failure is not final with Jesus. In fact, I personally believe the more aware you are of your failures, the more effective you'll be as a disciple maker. And if you show up all the time trying to be the person who looks like they don't need Jesus, that self-righteous, arrogant donkey, it's really not that attractive to the average sinner. I'll tell you what causes people to lean in. Share share your failures with them. Share the broken parts of your life. Talk about your struggles. Uh, when I lived in Dallas after church on Sunday, I'd finish up my responsibilities there at Park City's Prez, and I happened to ride a Harley at that time. I still have that Harley, as a matter of fact. But I'd hop on my Harley and ride over to a, a Harley bar and um, go in and sit down at the bar and try to find 
just a rough looking person and it wasn't that hard to find them really. And I'd sit down and order a cheeseburger and a beer. And uh, I'd say, how you doing? And they would just dump their life on the bar. They, 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 just, they would just say, Bleh! They'd say how their wife left them. They'd say how they're addicted to drugs. They'd say how they've had uh, multiple uh, one-night stands with different people. They would say how they're out of money. They would say how they can't keep a job. They would, you know, just fill in the blank. And, uh, man, I'll tell you, it was so easy to talk to people like that. And it's so easy to talk about Jesus to people like that because I'm able to say, hey, I get that. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story. Let me tell you what God did for me. Next thing you know, you know, the guy slips his beer to the side and he, he really wants to know. What'd you say? Wait, wait, wait. You, you said God brings forgiveness? I thought God was up in heaven and he just could not wait to crush me because I'm such a worthless sinner. He did what? You tell the gospel. It's unbelievable. The gospel story is unbelievable. You, you can't believe it. When I would preach in Chicago, right when I finished preaching, uh, going to school at Wheaton College, people would literally faint. We would have inner city rallies and people would literally pass out when they would hear the gospel because it was beyond comprehension. They don't have a father in their life. They're being raised by, God bless them, a faithful mom trying to be everything to their children. God bless the single moms in our world. And they would hear the story of a God who loved them in such a way that he knows their sin and he sent his son to be a propitiation, thank you Nathan, for this beautiful uh, salvation that is won through the work of Christ and Christ alone. That's unbelievable. Pass out. Actually, I think passing out is a more logical response than sitting and hearing the gospel and having it not impact your life. I think passing out is more rational. In Revelation 7, where it says they fell down on their faces, I would say that's a more rational response to hearing God and seeing Him, either literally or through His Word. And so we're called to be evangelistic. We're called to make disciples. We are not disqualified by our failures. In fact, in some ways, it, it allows us to have a more real and vibrant ministry. And then Jesus says, that command form, you follow me. I want to make a few points here. First of all, I want us to understand that the word Christian and disciple are synonymous in the Bible. Some people have this mentality that a Christian is like a category and a disciple is a mutually exclusive category from a Christian. No, in the Bible, a Christian is a disciple. A disciple is a Christian. In fact, if you study the Bible, go ahead and read through the New Testament, you're going to find the word disciple. Disciple. 
exponentially more than you're going to find the word Christian. So a disciple is what? Well, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is someone who exposes himself or herself to the teaching of a rabbi, a leader. And thank God He's given us His Word. And thank Holy Spirit, He's with us now, guiding us into truth. And so when we want to know what it looks like to be a disciple, we can look at concrete examples in God's Word. We can look at concrete examples in our own lives. And then we can also read God's Word and say, that's what that looks like. I don't know how many of you ever heard of a French chef. He's lived in America for decades now. His name's Jacques Pepin. Or in English, we would say Jack Pepin. Jacques Pepin. Jacques grew up in uh, Lyon, France. Not far from Geneva, that is, over... And he grew up and his mother operated a restaurant. Jacques, or Jack is probably the foremost authority. And I mean, he's just this amazingly gifted, wise, experienced chef. He, together with Julia Childs, uh, have probably trained millions of Americans how to cook and uh, how to cook uh, French cuisine. And so when Jacques was a little boy, he served in his mom's restaurant and then he became an apprentice. He's written a book about this. It's entitled The Apprentice. And uh, he would go into the kitchen and he would start with the most menial of tasks. And he would work his way, work his way, work his way up from to basically uh, emptying the trash and then mopping the floors and then washing the dishes. And then he would work his way exci- with great excitement to peeling potatoes. Uh, Jacques has incredible knife skills, by the way, so if you ever get a chance to watch. But uh, then he would work his way, and the next thing, over the months, he found himself at the elbow of the head chef. And the head chef would really wouldn't speak to him. He would just prepare the sauces. And then uh, one day he told Jacques, prepare the sauces. He didn't tell him how to do it. He, Jacques didn't know how much he knew. But then he realized, oh, I know exactly what to do. I've been watching him for months. That's the idea of a disciple. You follow so closely alongside Jesus that you know what he does because you're with him all the time. And so you know how to do it. Now I want us to think about this commandment that Jesus says. He says, follow me. And one of the things we see about Jesus is he leaves his home And he goes into the world to become a propitiation, become a sacrifice that satisfies his Father, removes our sin, and gives us his righteousness. That's the work of Christ and Christ alone. He goes into the world in order to save the lost. And he says, follow me. You know, I've been thinking a lot about this. Really, I came to faith in college through a guy who presented the gospel to me and then who discipled me for two years. So for me, when I think of Christianity, all I know is is discipling. You spend time together. You speak honestly to each other. You read God's Word together. You ask and answer questions together. And then you go teach another person. Because when you go and teach another person, one of the things you find is you find out what you know, 
and you find out what you don't know. And it's, it's electrifying. It's exciting. You not only are able to quote the confession of faith, you're able to articulate the, question, the uh, different answers within uh, the catechism or the, uh, the Westminster Confession uh, and the Bible, and you're able to, with great intricacy and understanding, articulate and apply the gospel truths, the, the means of grace. But if you're not actively discipling somebody, you really don't know what you know. And you certainly don't know what you don't know. And so you could be a Christian for 30 years, but you're an immature baby Christian. I meet people all the time, 70 years old. And you, you just start talking to them. And they're like, oh, they're just a baby. They're a 70-year-old baby. They, they haven't discipled anyone, so they don't really know what they know and what they don't know. It's not like after this sermon, I'm going to give a test. Okay, everybody here, we'll just fill it out and uh, I'll grade them afterwards or your uh, elders will grade them and we'll see how you do. Hey, let's just make it simple. Let's do oral exams right now. Hey, how about if you just stand up right where you are? We'll go one by one. And I'm a teaching elder. I've been doing this for decades. I'll just, we'll just do it right here. Right here in front of church. Right? And you're like, time out. Slow down. You're a visitor. I get it. So you're kind of bold here, but uh, not how we do it here under uh, Pastor Davis. So let me just ask a question. You don't have to answer it out loud. Who's making disciples in Signal Mountain, Chattanooga, Lookout Mountain? Who's doing it? Who is actively seeking the lost? in the power of the Holy Spirit, seeing people converted, and then you walk with them so that they're equipped, go back to Matthew 28, teaching them all you know about Jesus. So you obey Christ, they see you obeying Christ, and you're teaching them all that you know about Jesus. So now they've learned what you know about Jesus, so now they're going to go seek the lost, And they're going to win under the power of the Holy Spirit. right? We cast the gospel net. Holy Spirit does the converting. We we get that. Let's not confuse our roles here. But we are called, commanded, to cast the gospel net in evangelism. So who is actively making disciples who are actively making disciples? That's a question I've been asking. And you know what? I, I, I haven't found very many people who do that. I just haven't. I have found a few. So I've been thinking about that. Who's doing that? And you know, something hit me in Chattanooga. Uh, one of the institutions in Chattanooga, who um, is, they're successful. They're willing to withstand persecution. They're willing to take great risk. They're willing to really do anything they can. They long to belong. Who is it? It's, it's the gangs of Chattanooga. Per capita, we have a very active gang scene in Chattanooga. And what I've found are the older men and women are bringing the younger boys and girls into the gangs because the younger boys and girls long to belong. I mean, they they live in a very dysfunctional, disconnected setting. And so when they find somebody who's willing to take them under 
so that they could belong. They'll do anything for that person. They'll shoot another person. We have shootings in Chattanooga all the time. Right? Usually they're shot, but they're not killed. Why is that? Well, what about Chicago? You think of Chicago. If I read stories about Chicago uh, and I had any brains in my head, I, w- I, would never go- I would never go there. If I read stories about Chicago, uh, but they were about Paris, France, I'd say, you know, baby, I love Paris, but we're not, we're not going to Paris. Those people are crazy. But what happens is most of the people who are shot don't die. Well, you know why? Of course you do. Because they shoot them in the legs, because it's all part of a gang membership initiation. I mean, every once in a while you shoot somebody either to kill them or you're required to kill them to advance within the gang. But most shootings in cities like Chicago and the downtown area of Chattanooga, those are gang-related shootings. And so they, they, they end up at Erlanger or uh, Memorial, and it's sad that they got shot, but most of them don't die. Because you just needed to show as a gang member you're willing to make a sacrifice, you're willing to step forward, you're part of the gang. You're, if I need to shoot somebody, I'll do it. I'm committed. Well, who else is making disciples? Who else is willing to enter into a strange environment and develop relationships and tell people a gospel? That's unbelievable. It's absolutely unbelievable apart from the work of the Holy Spirit. I can't believe the gospel. It's unbelievable. Apart from the Holy Spirit. And they can't believe the gospel. It's unbelievable. Apart from the Holy Spirit. So my question is, who's making disciples? Who is following Jesus? You know, I know our city well enough now after 10 years to know that if the Muslims wanted to move into Chattanooga, and have a huge influence in our city, it's wide open for the taking. If, if like Mormons wanted to move in, the sweet, loving cult of Mormonism could dominate our city. Why is it? Because there's a huge vacuum there. There's a huge vacuum there. The opportunity's ripe for the taking. I mean, we go into the public schools pretty much every week during the school year. And we see. We see the kids and they see us. I mean, they can't believe that, that a man's in their school, first of all. And they can't believe that people keep coming back week after week. It freaks them out. It's unbelievable. Why? Because they long to belong and they don't feel like anyone really loves them. Right? And most of these kids don't have a dad in their life. The question that's burning in her soul is, why has my father abandoned me? That, that's the burning question. And so, I would ask our fellowship this morning, are you, are you actively making disciples? Who are actively making disciples? Uh, Hudson Taylor, who... Uh, God called to go to China. He's a missionary. And uh, he moved to China. And uh, he came back to the States. He had to raise some money. And people wanted to hear stories about his ministry. Right? Those kind of go together. And so they were introducing Hudson Taylor to this big church. And they said, here's Hudson Taylor. Works in China. He loves the Chinese people so much he moved to China. 
And Hudson Taylor got up and he said, I, I just have to correct you. I didn't move to China because I love the Chinese people. I moved to China because I love God. And so when you hear Jesus said, follow me, make disciples, I would say, you don't make disciples because you love lost people, although it's fine to love lost people. You make disciples because you love God. And Jesus teaches throughout the Gospel of John, throughout the Gospels, He says, if you love me, obey my commands. His last command, I think, should be our priority. And that is, make disciples. It's really not a surprise if you look at the Gospels, and you see where Jesus says, follow me. In Matthew 4.19, He said, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. In Matthew 8.22, Jesus said, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. In Matthew 9.9, 9, he says, follow me. In Matthew 16, he said, if anyone will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. In Mark 1, Jesus says, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And then if you begin working your way through the Gospel of John, you'll see it's clear. <clears throat> he starts in John 1. Doesn't take very long. <laughs> he said, follow me. John 1.43, the next day Jesus decided to go to Galilee, he found Peter and said to him, follow me. John 10.27, my sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. John 12.26, if anyone serves me, he must follow me. John 21.22, you follow me. It's a command form. So I want us to think about that. I want to ask you, where are you going? What are you doing with your life? Are you making disciples? Are you being discipled? Jesus said, go. Make disciples. That's what I do. That's what we do. And so I want to challenge you with that. I know it's a challenging message. I think in the American church, I think we enjoy kind of cute, sentimental stories that somehow unpack a point within the Bible verses that kind of entertain us a little bit. And then, you know, the major thought at the end of a Sunday morning is, what are we going to eat for lunch? As opposed to that Holy Spirit grip, gripping conviction that we are on a journey that God has initiated in our life to restore that which is broken. And I've done this long enough. I've led Bible studies in Phoenix, Chicago, Charlotte, Knoxville, Dallas, Beijing, let's just say Chattanooga. And this is what I've found. In the Bible studies, sometimes the, the, kind of the goal is the Bible study. Kind of like, we're, we're in a Bible study. And you know what? I think that's actually great. So don't, don't let me throw everything under the bus this morning. I, I think that's great. We're in a Bible study. That's super. Maybe you do it as a family. Maybe you do it as a couple. Maybe you do it with guys. Maybe you do it with girls. That's great. But knowing God better through Bible study is one aspect of disciple making. 
One of the struggles I've had as a pastor is getting my people to then say, you know, we've done our Bible study for three years or eight years or 38 years. Not kidding. And maybe we need to export this to people who don't have what we have. How would we do that? For the love of God. You develop relationships with people who don't know Jesus. And watch how the Holy Spirit converts them. And then you train them up. And then they surpass you. I want to encourage us with that. I want to challenge us with that. And I want to challenge us with that because it's the words of Jesus. I didn't make this up. I didn't come up with the strategy. Jesus did. I'm going to end with three guidelines and then uh, kind of an encouraging word. Um, I want you to imagine that we're going to go hunt lions this afternoon. You're like, hello? Like, that's a predator, right? I mean, when you go hunt a lion, the next thing you know, the hunter becomes the huntee. Because that lion will kill you and eat you. So there's three rules when you hunt lions. The first rule is stay behind your guide. I mean, don't slip over to an acacia tree and, you know, light up a camel no filter. Stay, stay behind the guide. Okay, don't wander off. Don't get ahead of him. Stay behind the guide. Because you, you, you're after a predator here. Secondly, don't run. If you see a lion, don't, don't, don't take off running. Because uh, uh, if you take off running, a couple things, you're going to show the lion that you're the prey and it's the predator. And you're going to trigger in that lion his instinct to come and kill you and eat you. Hopefully in that order. He might eat you first and then kill you. But when you run, you trigger within the lion that he's the predator and you're the prey. So don't run. And then lastly, if you disagree with the guide, obey him in the moment and we can discuss it later. Now, let's apply this to making disciples. We're called to follow Christ into a world that is happy to eat us alive. I mean, just think. If you want to really put your child to the test, send them to a secular school. Now, I'm not saying secular schools are bad. Just realize that they are the prey in the hands of the predator. And not every child is ready to handle that, whether we're talking about a 6-year-old, a 16-year-old, or a 22-year-old. Just not everybody is equipped to be the prey in a predator environment. And if you go to a state school, you will be the prey in a predator environment. In fact, you'll be the fool. 
you'll be the I can't believe you believe that person. Okay? So, when you follow Christ, realize you're going into a world that will hate you and want to destroy you. Secondly, don't run from the world. I want to go two ways with this. Don't run from the world. And don't try to become like the world. You ever see people who like hang out with lions? Uh, they're, they're crazy people, I think. But they're like, I'm going you know, to go to the plains of Serengeti. I'm going to live with this pride of lions. And, you know, I can't imagine doing that. But do you know what happens eventually? The lions eat them. I mean, it might work for a year. It might work for 10 years. But then you get this little pop-up on your screen. Billy was eaten by the lions. I thought they liked me. Well, they do like you. You taste good, right? They eat you. So, you don't run from the world because if you isolate yourself from the world, you can't impact the world. So you embrace the world in order to change the world with the Gospel. So you don't run from it, and you don't try to become like it. Jesus didn't save you so then you could act like the way you used to live. Right? And then if you don't really totally agree with what Jesus is telling you to do, obey Him, and then you can talk to Him about it later if you have questions. So I want to encourage us to follow Christ. Follow Christ. Follow Christ. And part of following Christ is this symbiotic relationship that we have with the world where our efforts in loving God and expressing that love to the world challenges our thinking. It makes us sensitive. It makes us more spiritually and scripturally articulate. If we're not doing that, I would say, first and foremost, we're in direct disobedience to Jesus. If you're not actively making disciples, I can confidently and sadly tell you, you are in direct disobedience to Jesus Christ. You are calling Him Lord and you are telling Him no simultaneously. And that's sinful. We need to repent. If you're not actively making disciples, I, I would plead with you, repent. Because you're in direct disobedience to God. It's become a custom in the American church to be lazy, to be knowledgeable, but to not be obedient. Even though it's the norm in the American church, it's still sinful. It's wrong. And then I would ask that if you're not in a discipling relationship, find a person that you have spiritual respect and say, hey, would you disciple me? Not 100% sure what it looks like, but would you help me learn about Jesus so I can help other people learn about Jesus? And then if you are a mature Christian, I would encourage you to develop relationships with non-believers. To go find them. To fish where the fish are. 
I mean, I'm fishing this morning. I would assume I have the possibility of catching a fish or two in this building. I would think most of you are already hooked. Most of you are already netted. If you want to fish, fish where the fish are. So if you haven't caught any fish for a while, fish where the fish are. I can tell you where they are. I, I know where the fish are. I bet you know where they are too if you think about it a little bit. They keep maybe different hours than we do. And they stay at different places longer than we do. But they're out there. And a lot of them are ready. They, wanna, they long to belong. 